This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. All right. Hello, my friend. Hello. Good to be with you again. Good to be with you. How are you this fair evening? Oh, I'm very tired, but I'm in a good mood. Good. Um, I, I, all is well. You know, the worst thing going on right now is the house is kind of messy. <laughs> Not too bad. I mean, you're, you're still in the process of moving in. Of course, it's messy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I am certainly willing to give myself a little grace in this case. <laughs> but just a little um, bit, just a skosh. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't want to get to the point where we were in the last house where it was just like, uh, you know, we're moving anyway at this point, you know, and it's just you just kind of check out. <laughs> it's just wasn't a great plan. Yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, how about you? Uh, how has your week been? Uh, it's been good, um, mostly. It's been <laughs> because of, of all the hurricane stuff going on. We didn't get any rain, but we've gotten the humidity. Uh, so it's been in about the, the low to mid 80s, which I know isn't much as far as like actual heat goes, but the humidity has been between like 75 and 90 percent. We've had some interesting weather here in Arizona as well, where just a lot of wind, some storms. It like hit super hard for like five minutes yesterday and then just stopped. Mm. Yeah, a friend, friend of mine was getting really bad sinus headaches because of the, the changing pressure. Uh, on Tuesday, he couldn't even run a game because it was just like so much. Oh, yeah. Well, you kind of need your sinuses to do your talking and And breathing. thinking. And <laughs> yeah, if, if you're trying to focus through a headache, it's just no good. Not so good. Yeah. That's why I carry with me a tube of fresh wasabi. Uh, no, I don't actually do that. <laughs> Um, I mean, if you need to clean should, things though. up quick, though, that's uh, not a that's a terrible way. But <laughs> I do I do kind of like to challenge myself. I, I am a, a joyer of sushi mm. and uh, I will take just a big glob of the, the wasabi and just eat it. Oh, it's good. Um, yeah, because I mean, it just it's like a reset on your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just... certainly one way to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I've, I've always had sinus uh, and allergy problems mm. like my whole life. So to me, wasabi is like just the best. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, because of all of the like humidity and everything, I've been doing yard work over the last few weeks, just spending like an hour here and there digging out the backyard from the secret garden that it turned into. Um, and today it was just like. Uh, I, I, I tend to like sweat profusely while I'm working back there because it's a huge full body workout. Today I was like shaking and had down a big thing of Gatorade because I was sweating so much. Yeah, you got to go get the Pedialyte from yeah. Walgreens, <laughs> survive through it. Um, no, yeah, I, I never really had to deal with too much humidity uh, growing up. And then I took a school related trip to uh, Kansas and uh, it was over the summer. Oh no! And and the humidity was was some. I I never had experienced that. It felt like I was swimming from location to location. And it's it's like a shower was just like useless. <laughs> like yeah, it, it wasn't getting me anywhere. <laughs> That's pretty much how it's been here too. Because like I come in after doing yard work and take a shower and go, this did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> is this water or sweat i can't tell oh yeah it's uh it's pretty gross love it but you know i'm i'm working on having a usable backyard and actually like being able to set up a table and chairs in the in the backyard and you know oh, just be, nice. be able to be outside in a space that is you know mine because the front yard isn't really much of anything Right, yeah. And it's nice to have your balcony time, even if it's not technically a balcony. Yeah. I do like that I uh, I now have an upstairs, and I wish there was a little bal balcony going out. I guess we could always 
add something someday. I mean, you certainly can. But that's a level of building that I unfortunately don't possess. So either that's going to be a lot of YouTube videos or we're going to spend some money. <laughs> so Yeah. Um, I ran uh, one of our patron games last night. Uh, that was really fun. How'd um, it go? We only had... We only had three players uh, because of various conflicts and illnesses and stuff, but it still went quite well. You know, we were able to like take those three players and just really focus in on what they wanted to do. Sure. Um, So that was cool. Actually, we had four players for a while and then one of them had to bounce early. So then we had three after that. Got it. And we were able to like do a lot of one on ones with like NPCs. Uh, they did a lot of like planning. We stared at the overland map for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I th- it was one of those like no combat sessions where everyone's just like sort of talking and gathering and recovering and building. And we were doing downtime activities. And I think with like a shorter group or not a shorter, a smaller group, you know, those kinds of sessions can be less of a drag. Um I mean, some people really like them, but what I definitely don't like is when it takes a long time to get to you. Yeah. Right. And and I'm very cognizant of that when I'm running the game. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of feel someone getting bored, even over the microphone. I'm like, uh, someone so hasn't spoken in a while. I need to end this quick so I can get to them. Um, that, that sort of thing. But when you only got a couple of people, it's a little bit easier to get there. Yeah, one of the things that I really want to do one of these days is do either a GM-less solo uh, TTRPG thing or do it where it's um, one of one of the things that I picked up recently was God Killer that Connie Chang from uh, Transplaner wrote. And it's a GM and it's a player. And right, yeah, one-on-one. One-on-one. And I really want to try that out one of these days because that's just that just sounds like an incredible experience to me. When Andrew and I were still in college, uh, I was preparing to do an all-drow campaign uh, where they were all dark elves of the same house, and uh, they're all members of the same family. And since I was roommates with Andrew and we had extra time together, uh, we essentially did like a one-shot just between he and I building his backstory and motivations and stuff. Oh, I love that. So that was really cool. I, I haven't really ever done anything like that since where like just to have each player one at a time. I know other GMs have done it. Um, the God's Fall podcast did this. I can't remember if it was Halfway to Heroes or One Shot Onslaught. I think it was Halfway to Heroes through Majestic Goose Network where the the GM played a one-on-one game with each of the players as prequels to be like, all right, this is this is where we're planning to get. Here's how we're telling the story to get you there. Yeah, and I think especially for like a listen format like that, it's it's good for you because the other players don't have to be there and you as the listener want to hear what everyone's doing. And so that's it's a it's a good idea. You know, maybe something to to mull around. I got really into doing uh party emails, like just emailing people one on one. I remember seeing some of those. Yeah, and I I even did a tiny little thing with you uh one time. Uh, but I got it, it had its pros and cons, like the pros were, you know, people had a lot of fun with them in some ways. They almost had more fun, <laughs> you know, because it was like answer whenever you want. Mm-hmm. And like you can write me, you know, five pages of your thoughts or you can write me. I choose option A, <laughs> right? Um you know, as much or as little as you wanted to do. And we could really get into the deep with that. Um, the problem was a couple of things. And one of them is that it just got to be a lot for me because we kept it going because it was so popular. And then the other issue was that it I felt at least that it made a lot of the players feel more insular, like separate from the others. Um, where it was like them in the GM versus everybody. Right. Sure. And even though I was like literally doing that with everybody and I wasn't trying to like support a lot of scheming behind other people's backs. Right. 
in one situation where I did it, um, the players had been totally captured, not killed, right? But it was essentially a TPK. And uh, they were all like separated and imprisoned in different circumstances. And so it made sense to separate them all and then to kind of handle that. And then hopefully by the time the the session came around, they would be back together. Hmm. Um, because, you know, because uh, I know you've experienced it. It can be a little boring and tedious when you're like waiting for someone else's scene to complete and you're sitting there doing nothing, mm-hmm. collecting information that technically would be metagaming to, to use. Yeah, it, it, that, that's one of the reasons why I do very much support that if if that sort of thing does need to happen, like, I mean, I'll I'll just use my own example that I've that I've played out. Um, Keldry's uh, side quest, I, I, I wanted to do that as a solo quest. I thought that that, that, that you know, I figured you guys would, would get bored and I would just be like, let me record this and then you can listen to it if you want and want to have that knowledge or you cannot if you if you want to hear what what she says and how she recounts it. Yeah, and I was definitely of the don't tell me it's a spoiler kind of camp, because if my guy won't know it, then I shouldn't know it. But yeah, a lot of people can easily separate that, you know, and that's fine. I'm just bad at keeping all my information straight. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's totally fair. And I, I know that I can. I have an issue with that sometimes because it's like if I know something, I have a hard time not asking the question or not leaning into that knowledge or or asking something that would lead into what I know that my character doesn't. There are definitely times where I prefer to not hear for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we also just need breaks from these things. I mean, it can be really tempting to want to like fully dive in and just do this all the time. But like... You could definitely burn out on something you love, right? In fact, it's usually the things that we love that we burn out on because, you know, what happens when you find your favorite song? You spam it. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's not your favorite song anymore, you know, and it's kind of sad, right? Yeah, it is. When when I go onto like YouTube music, they have like auto playlists, you know, Mm -hmm. and one of them that they have is like forgotten favorites. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the stuff that you used to listen to all the time. And now I don't. Mm. So there's like a playlist of all my abandoned favorites. <laughs> it's like, this is your guilt station. <laughs> Not that I should feel guilty, but I oddly do, I suppose. It's less, for me at least, I, I, I don't know about you, but it's less guilt and more, oh yeah. Like getting to rediscover that. Yeah, there is that too. Yeah, if you, especially if you don't look at it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be really nice. And it, it's fun to see how eclectic the collection can be because, you know, you're going through different things in your life. You're in different moods. Right. And uh, so my mine will have like, you know, symphony orchestras and then it'll have like um, Motown <laughs> and then uh, it'll do like um, grunge rock. <laughs> from the 90s and then it's like 80s pop you know it's just like going everywhere yeah mine mine ranges from like broadway musicals uh to things like evanescence and nightwish all the all over the place right yeah <laughs> um i i used to listen to nightwish i i never really got into evanescence but um that was the more popular band which is <laughs> yeah. funny is like by far the more popular band um, I was exactly I, I was exactly the right age and demographic for Nightwish or uh, for, right, uh, for right, Evanescence. Yeah. yeah, no, Ed, there there are certain albums of Nightwish where like man, they were like they went hard, man. They like sounded amazing. They definitely have had an interesting uh, trek recently because they've they've been through a few lead singers and yeah, they have. Yeah, uh, the one they have right now, Floor Jansen, is phenomenal. She's she has a, a wonderful rough quality to her voice, and I always oh, nice. I have always loved Tadia because you know she's this polished opera singer. But like I love, there's something about like the rougher tone of Floor's voice that's just great. Yeah, he started out with. Um... I always called her Tarja, but you're you're right. She's probably Tarja, right? I, th- I think so. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I don't know, but and, like a lot of those earlier albums had, they were just like synth, mm-hmm. like a lot of synth. 
And then it was like when, when they did once, it was like they had um, a budget now. Like now they had money. <laughs> and so so they could invest a lot more into it. I think my favorite um, song of their older stuff was Over the Hills and Far Away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was a remake, I believe. I, th- I think that was a cover. Was it? I know Snowman was it was a cover. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I Back in like 2005, 2006, man, that was like... That was like my favorite stuff. I could, you know, name everything. I can barely remember <laughs> a lot of it because it's been um, so long. Well, sure. Times change. And, you know, that was that was a long time ago. I'm not going to say how many years ago that was. But that was a long time ago at this point. You know, I guess I'll do the obvious one and I'll say, you know, I did enjoy Wishmaster because it was basically a D&D party, <laughs> more or less. The, the, there was a lot of like that D&D music kind of genre that, that was around at that time. Oh, I loved it. Like I, I actually got in a Nightwish because I was introduced to Blind Guardian. And I was introduced right, to Blind yeah. Guardian because I was on Council of Elrond, the, a Lord of the Rings roleplay forum website. And they were like, here, Nightfall in Middle-Earth is part of the Cimmerillion. It just is the mm. Cimmerillion in song form. That's hardcore. That's it's hardcore. very hardcore. It's very geeky, and I love it. It's so good. Yeah, I got into Nightwish because I had started with Camelot. Mm. And, and then from there, I got into, like, Rhapsody, which then later became Rhapsody of Fire because there was, like, legal conflict with their name sure <laughs> and then then i kind of began to exit with dragon force right i was that guy and then finally i started getting into things like acdc it's <laughs> <Right? laughs> so like just kind of left the genre entirely yeah and i, uh, but I, I every I, now and then there's it's fun to go back and, yeah and listen to some of those old favorites and i mean i still live very much in the world of like i, I refer to that as like symphonic rock or symphonic metal depending right yeah that's what i called it yeah that's where i like to hang out like anything that has like a, a really amazing piano line or a violin that will get my yes. attention immediately yeah, it's a it's a good mix. Uh, Epico was really good about that. Um, one version, one one band I actually still kind of like is uh, Tear, which um, had a very Viking theme to it. I mean, with that name, you kind of have to. You kind of have to, but it, <laughs> you know, they had a lot of really beautiful music, and all all the ones that I enjoyed never or very rarely would employ, uh, like, the screamo stuff. Yeah, I've never liked the screaming kind of music. I never liked that. I don't like the growly guy. Um, I just want to listen to the pretty girl sing pretty girl songs. <laughs> you know, or the, or the you know, hair metal guy, you know, just hitting those ridiculous high notes. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, his brain is like completely transported in, into being eight years old and swinging around a wooden sword. Yeah. You know, that that stuff is beautiful. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a really good segue here. I, um, I, I think I think I put too much pressure on you by telling you how much I like your segues. I know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but it was fun talking about that. Uh, I was. Um, so speaking of sharing old things with, uh, with people, um, this uh, last week in my government class, I was showing my students 12 Angry Men um, and one of my favorite films ever. And uh, are you familiar with the story? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Every now and then you've got one where you're like, oh, of course I know that one. Sure. And but it's usually I'm like, stuff well, like, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> yeah, no, that that's completely fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, my my movie knowledge is painful. <laughs> Twelve Angry Men uh, was a, a, you know, an older black and white movie. It's been remade a few times. Uh, the one I show my students is a remake from the 90s uh, that's in color, and it has a more diverse cast. And some of the original actors are actually still in it. Oh, that's cool. Um, so it has, like, George C. Scott in it and uh, uh, Jack Lemmon. 
And uh, what it is, is it's uh, about a jury. Okay, that does track with the name. Yes, the entire show, and often it's produced as a play, by the way, because it's basically a play, um, takes place in the jury room. So it's one room and a bunch of guys talking at each other. That's all that happens. Okay. And so it's one of those movies that's like really hard to sell as an idea. And then you watch it and you become completely captivated. At the start of the story, uh, they take a preliminary vote to see if they thought the defendant was guilty. And 11 of the 12 think that he's guilty. And only one says not guilty. And even he's not really sure. He just doesn't want to, like, decide right now. You know, he wants to give it some deliberation because the person in question is on, is on trial for his life. You know, he could face the death penalty. Sure. And so the as the arguments and discussions unfold, um, they slowly start to uh, change their vote from guilty to not guilty. And they uh, at the they, they discover everybody's like personal bias and the the logical fallacies that they may have been experiencing and uh, all this stuff. And that's not ultimately the point, but it is a wonderful story. And at the end, everyone does vote not guilty. And we've all learned a valuable lesson along the way. Highly recommend you watch it, even though I just gave you the entire plot. <laughs> the, the plot is not the important thing. Right. The important thing is what we learn from it. And that's why I think it's so useful in a class like that to understand how how the jury is supposed to really address the the concepts of justice that that form our laws. Boy, that's a whole that's a whole rabbit hole to dive down, but we're not going there. Yeah, we're not going there right now. Right right now, what I I, I do want to talk about one scene um, where they're talking about the knife used in the murder, and they say, "I, I want to see it. I want to see the evidence." So they bring the knife out. And they stab it into the table and they're like, see, there's the murder weapon. He was seen stabbing his father with this thing. And they were they were making the point that like there could be no other life knife like it. It's so distinct, right? It has like the scorpion on the handle. Okay. You know? And then the the guy who voted not guilty, he just stands up, he pulls an identical knife out of his pocket and stabs the table with it. And it's like this big whoa moment. You know, as and then he just says, I walked down the street and I bought it. You know, there was just a pawn shop that had these. That's not even the 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 really impressive part. They eventually uh, put the the real knife away and they put it back into evidence. And then later on, as the discussions are unfolding, uh, somebody points at the knife still sticking in the table and says, see, it's there it is right there. And then somebody else has to point out that that's not the knife. It's the other one, hmm. right? And so that is an example of what we're going to talk about, which is the setup and the payoff. Um, and and the, the, the script does a wonderful job of doing this several times throughout, uh, bringing up things and reminding us of them and then bringing it home with some kind of meaningful change. So um, setups and payoffs are well known in storytelling. So of course they're going to be useful to us as TTRPG players. Yeah. Probably the most famous original example is uh, Chekhov's gun. And anybody that looks into this kind of thing probably has heard of Chekhov's gun. Of course, named for uh Russian author and playwright Anton Chekhov, who said that if you introduce uh, a gun on a mantle in Act 1, it should be fired in Act 2. The meaning behind that, of course, being don't, in, don't introduce something into your story that isn't significant, right? Don't, don't clutter everything with useless detail. You know, have objects that are, that are meaningful. Have themes and thoughts and ideas that are meaningful and that are going to help that story uh, be told in some meaningful way. 
And 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 those sorts of things can be like actual objects, much like Chekhov's gun, or an idea that's planted early on that comes back around. Um, yeah, it's it's super important to to have a setup for for a big moment that pays off later. Because if you don't, then it just comes out of nowhere and it doesn't really mean anything because it hasn't been properly uh, set up. Exactly, and if attempted in reverse order, if we reveal the trick underneath the hero's sleeve only to then explain where they got it after it actually loses its impact. Um, It's better that we see it beforehand. So to give some examples um, and in full disclosure uh, to prepare for talking about this, I rewatched a video I enjoyed quite a while ago uh, called your script is missing this setups and payoffs. And I found it on YouTube. It was called, and it was uh, done by the this guy named Tyler Mowry, and uh, we'll probably link that somewhere. Anyway, um, he gives some examples, and I thought of some examples too. So he says that one of the best examples in his mind was from Pixar's Up. You know, back when Pixar was relevant. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um. This is the the concept of the of the setup and payoff. It seems to be eluding Hollywood these days. Yeah, that's, um, I mean that's fair. There is a lot of wanting to enjoy our dessert right now without eating our meal, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, turning into upset tummies. In uh, the movie Up, there's a couple of these. So one of them is uh, Ellie's book. Okay, and then it says like like my adventure, and it's going to be a book of all the different things that she's going to do throughout her life, and most of the book is blank. Uh, well, she and Carl um, get married. They plan to have a family. Turns out she cannot have a family. She can't have children. And so instead, they plan a more real-life adventure where they're going to go to a place called Paradise Falls rainy days happen over and over and over again. And Carl and Ellie can never scrounge enough to do their trip. And so eventually Ellie dies. And he's, and they're not able to go on that trip together because the rainy days just kept happening and it, uh, it, it never worked out for them, but yeah, it never worked out for them. <laughs> but then what? Uh, then the developer is like, hmm, we're, we're going to take your house out from under you because you lost your temper for a second. And then he uh, attaches all the balloons to the house and off he goes with the kid mm-hmm. who teaches him how to be a better person. Or not teaches him how to be a better person, teaches him to see the world from an adventure standpoint again. Right. Sort of reintroduces him to his former self, you might say. And um, at the end of the book, or at the end of the movie, he's <laughs> looking back through the book uh, Ellie's adventure book and he starts flipping through and he realizes that she's been updating it and he didn't know. And she had updated every page with, um, you know, memories of their life together, their adventures. So their adventures that they had had, which was, which was beautiful, really, really a beautiful thing. And, uh, honestly up is one of the, one of the really top notch Pixar movies in my opinion. I just saw it within the last few months for the first time. Is that right? Really? <laughs> yes, I know. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know my, me and my history with films. and I just <laughs> hadn't gotten to that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really are like the Captain America of the <laughs> podcasting world. Um, so... Uh, the, I actually remember the first time I watched it was in the theater, uh, with my, um, well, I think, I, I think we might've been married at the time. I, I, either, either she was my wife or my soon to be wife, not important. What, what was important is that in those first few minutes, when you get kind of the backstory, my wife and I were like looking at each other and we were both just bawling. Oh. Just tears coming out of our eyes. Like we were just red faced because it's it's just amazing what what Pixar could do with their stel- storytelling in their in their heyday. 
Yeah, and, so. and and especially like I know this isn't actually part of the thing, but the way that they use the music in that scene with with the the light motif that was it's the same notes and it's so cheerful and then it's not and it's and the it's same notes but it's the way you play them and it just yes ah uh. yeah they just they love to twist that knife mm-hmm. once they got it in there they love twisting it uh, they also changed color scheme yeah. Uh, from bright and vibrant to tonal and dour. As he got old and dour. As he got old and grumpy. <laughs> right. Other quick examples. Um, this is something that happened over the course of a couple movies. In Avengers Age of Ultron, Captain America attempts to lift Thor's hammer, as do the other Avengers, none of whom are successful except... Captain America manages to barely budget just slightly. And uh, Thor kind of panics for a split second. And the audience is sort of left to wonder, ooh, I wonder. And I think, you know, Joss Whedon probably didn't really mean for that to really go anywhere. It was not paid off in the same film. Well, it kind of was because Vision was able to pick it up. So I guess that's not true. Even that had a payoff. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's say it was further paid off in Avengers (laughs) Endgame when Cap does, in fact, lift Thor's hammer and uh, gain his powers briefly. Um, That was a payoff that was a long time coming and was very satisfying. And it was so satisfying because it took so long to pay off where where you always had in the back of your mind watching, you know, Captain America through all of the films kind of in the back of your mind. Yeah, but I'll bet he could have picked it up if he wanted to. (laughs) I'll bet you he could. And then it, yes. and then that comes back. I saw it coming in in Endgame the first time that I saw it, and I still almost screamed myself hoarse when it happened. Oh yeah, dude. The, I mean, and if you went there that opening week, oh, I did, and it was amazing. It was a magical moment. I mean, everybody in every theater everywhere was completely rowdy, right? Because they were just having the time of their lives. Mm-hmm. And I was in one of those like smaller theaters where they like serve you booze. Yes. And so, like, that audience was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that, that that was something that I think um, is one of, is maybe one of the reasons that Marvel is having more difficulty these days tangent is because they're not allowing for the for the set off setup and payoff to happen over multiple movies where it becomes more impactful if you have to if it sits and simmers for a while. So this this was a big issue I had with with She-Hulk in particular, because I actually really enjoyed She-Hulk. I was one of the five people, I guess, that liked it. And then the last episode happened and kind of swept the rug from underneath me in not a very nice way. Mm. Um, Because a lot of the complaints, you know, of course, a lot of the complaints out there were like, she-Hulk girl, girl bad, right? Yeah. You know, and, and of course, I'm not going to make that kind of argument. But they were complaining a lot about how Jennifer was just so superior to to Bruce in, in so many ways. And I was like, guys, this is just set up. It's set up. You know, this is part of her arc. This is what she is going to learn, you know, over time. You know, haven't you ever seen a movie before? <laughs> right. This is good stuff. And it's even okay, better when it's, is... a, and it should even be better when it's over a television show because you have more time to, to let the setup really sink the hook in. 100%. 100%. But then what happens? The final episode not only fails to do that, but they actually mock the idea of doing it. Mm. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't think you're actually more clever than these sort of, you know, tried and true tools of storytelling. I think you copped out and freaked out and decided to do a bunch of wacky nonsense in order to get a laugh. Hmm. And it just falls completely flat. At least it did for me. I I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I've <laughs> the television shows have not been uh, enough of a draw yet. I'm still working my no, way through Shira. So yeah, uh, although I will recommend WandaVision and Loki. I thought those were good. I've heard good things about both of those. I've heard mixed mixed but mostly good reviews about um, Falcon and Winter Soldier because I was yes, like they, yeah. they addressed issues but didn't say anything about them. Was the biggest complaint that I heard. 
that was the big thing. They're like, we're going to be political and we're going to say something, but we don't want to say anything that would ever upset anyone. So we're going to say a lot of things vaguely and then, hey, look, another show. <laughs> and and I will say that in like corporate America, it's very hard to like, it's hard to tell a good story in corporate America for much the same reason that it's hard to have something like Rent or Hamilton actually be about smash the patriarchy, smash the systems, because the only people who can afford those things are the rich people who show up to Broadway. Well, and the other odd thing is that it's the rich people that are producing them. Yeah, because and, and, and they want to make it look like they're, you know, trying to say something meaningful and important, but they can't ever really because... You know, they still count on the people who go to Broadway and pay, you know, $150 for a seat to um, still come and see the shows. So they can't really say anything while they want to, even if they want to. So that way they can feel enlightened while also not helping in any meaningful way. (laughs) Also known as a lot of Berkeley liberals. (laughs) So I say as a liberal who lives in Berkeley. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. You know, yeah. You, you. I know. I see it. I know. If I said it, it would have been wrong. Right. But no, it's there. There's a lot of that. And, and it's kind of unfortunate because I think what really works about a lot of the earlier Marvel stuff was that they weren't telling stories about what's happening right now today as much as they were just telling sort of timeless stories about the struggle of good and evil. Sure. Things like getting over your own demons with Iron Man and always do the right thing, no matter how hard it is with Captain America, uh, with get over yourself and become who you were meant to be with Thor, right? And and, and a, sub, a good subplot of, of, of Thor was basically King Lear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Except for in this case, Lear is right. I guess, depending on how you want to put it. I mean, yeah, I mean, him getting rid of his best daughter was a bad thing and he had to learn a lesson. But in this case, he gets rid of Thor and it's the right call. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, was it the right call or or was Thor, did Thor become who he was because of all of the, the fawning that had happened over him up until that point? And then he got a big ego. How much of it was uh, bad parenting along the way? Oh, 100%. And I think that Thor, or sorry, Odin recognized that. And the, and I like to point out that the moment he casts Thor out, he immediately enchants the hammer. So the escape clause is made the moment he does that. Because mm-hmm. it right? was never it was never truly meant to cast him out. It was go to no. Earth, learn a lesson, come back when you're ready. Correct. Correct. That was the the exact idea. I actually really like the original Thor film. It has it does some weird things with music, but I actually really like it more than a lot of people do. Honestly, my favorite uh, scene of that is the one that I think of as being the King Lear scene, and it's it's Loki and Odin with the Tesseract. And boy, ain't that a setup mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. for, for, for what then happens in the first Avengers film. Well, and this is another thing they, they did really well, especially with their post credit scenes, was now we're going to give you a teaser which is essentially a very light setup. Mm -hmm. And I bet you're excited to see how that pays off. So tune in next time. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So we can also use setup as our cliffhanger. And most GMs worth their salt are going to do that. You know, a couple of other quick examples. Uh, Obi-Wan tells Luke early on all these stories about his father as this Jedi, but he never reveals to him who he is now. He always says that he's dead. Right. And so when audiences would hear, I am your father for the first time, it was not only a shock, but it was also a payoff. Mm-hmm. In Lord of the Rings, uh, Bilbo gives Frodo a mithril chain shirt and Frodo wears it under his clothes, which is very useful because we as an audience forget that it's there. And then when he gets stabbed by, uh, what are they called? The ogre guys. The cave troll. Yeah, the cave troll. Um, we think, oh no, but wait, there's lots of movie left. He's not dead. Right. (laughs) Um, and then, uh, we see the mithril shirt, right? You've seen that we've seen this with other things where somebody gets shot by a gun and then they're okay because they had a book or a badge or something. Let's see. Um, 
the one that we had talked about just before we got on together was Men in Black. Uh, they give Will Smith's character a small gun while they give Tommy Lee Jones's character a very large gun. And Will Smith is uh, disappointed until he fires it later on in the third act. And it ends up being a huge blast. And he realizes he was actually given a great gift. So one thing that needs to happen with our setups and payoffs are meaningful changes, right? We can't just say, he has a sword. Look, he used the sword, right? That's not really enough. We have to like learn new information. We have to have ideas changed. The object in question needs to um, transform in some way. There needs to be some sort of, wow, look at the development. Look what we learned from this. And if you can... You can put lots of these ideas together under the umbrella of one story. And each one of these individually becomes a small story. And so when you have a setup and a payoff that is combined with a theme, then you have what they call in stories motif. And motif is something that we want to try to implement into our games. And I, th and, I th and I think that motif in some ways is more useful than the very specific, like, this item will come back around at this time, at least in, you know, games that span a year to two years long. Because, I mean, items are good, items are interesting, but I think that the theme is much more important than the motif. So it's like, what, it, what, what are the characters looking for? Who are they looking to become? And what is the journey to get there? And what are the themes that keep coming back up? Yes. And the the key there is going to be, but was it meaningful? Right? I, I, I sometimes like to do random loot myself, but it's harder to have an emotional connection with an item that you randomly drew. Um, unless you like rolled 100, right? <laughs> it's like very exciting. Um but generally speaking, we're going to feel more attachment to an item if it has had some sort of story significance or if it is in some way symbolic of our character's growth. So here are some ideas for the people to steal. And I don't know if you came up with any ideas. Maybe you'll come up with one on the fly or I don't know. Maybe you remember something we've done in a game um, already because I do like to employ these every now and then when I you know, remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the big one, isn't it? There is. Um, in the game that we've been playing uh, recently, uh, that it's about to come to an end. Gosh. Um, yeah, yeah, long time coming. Uh, you're, you and your party had gathered a great collection of wonderful magical items. And then l later on, you were all killed and all of your magic items were lost. And... Everyone's been having a lot of fun rediscovering them in the final raid where they've been employed by different bosses and stuff and just locked away in treasure chests. And people are like having an emotional reactions and like they're meeting their old friend again. For the record, kind of for those listening, he took away my dragon wing bow and I have never gotten it back. <laughs> and I'll give you something better. And I am a little bit bitter about that. <laughs> Better, uh, I have to get closer. And my whole thing was I want to be 200 feet away and shooting things. <laughs> You're still OP. I wouldn't worry too much. I'm about not it. worried about it, but the item is still <laughs> gone and I'm not getting it back. <laughs> yes. Um, maybe, it, maybe it'll just show up as a joke at the end. Oh, here you go. <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, I forgot to give this to you earlier. <laughs> Here's your bow. Game's done. Bye. <laughs> BRB. Don't do that to your players. BRB, okay. gonna uh, go kill Artemis and become the goddess of the hunt. <laughs> Listen, I like you. I have no ill will, but I need that. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple of ideas for you guys to take. Uh, maybe give your players a corrupt item that becomes beneficial in some way. Right? There are a lot of cursed items in the game. What if the cursed item became a good item because our hero learned a valuable lesson of some kind and went through some sort of ritual or communicated with the item in some way. Something happens that causes that transformation. Right? Maybe you pick up maybe maybe you pick up a berserker's axe and which is a cursed item and forces you to just attack everybody. 
pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. But later on, when your when your character has like achieved inner peace or something, you know that um, you know permeates into the weapon, and now it becomes some other form, and now it's better, just like you. Right? <laughs> you have grown and changed, and now here is here is the reward. Now here is the reward, and uh, you know, speaking of magic items, you know, give your big bad. You know, the the sort of life stealing or something, you know, describe the hilt in in glorious detail and talk about like the skulls and the ruby eyes and all that good stuff and watch him use it to do terrible things. And then later on, let your hero acquire that sword. Right. That's going to that's going to hit different. Um now it's going to have a different meaning. Maybe it'll be something the hero casts away, or maybe they use it for a new purpose. Who knows, mm-hmm. right? Either way, that's useful. Um, erect a statue of a hero or a god or something in the middle of your town. Let me tell you the tale of the great Th- Throgdar the Barbarian <laughs> and how he saved our town. And the, why this is why we're called Throgdardia. Okay, and isn't that great? Anyway, later on, we're going to definitely meet Throgdardia. Yeah. Right? And then we might learn that maybe he's not all he's cracked up to be. Never meet your heroes, man. Never meet your heroes. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, this one's kind of stealing directly from Chekhov's gun a little bit. But, you know, your NPC shopkeeper could be a retired adventurer. So... That dragon wing bow is just sitting there on the mantle, you know, for patrons to enjoy looking at. But maybe <laughs> at a key moment when the town is attacked, we're going to see the barkeep pull that thing down and kill a knoll that was about to kill you or something. The over here 20th level adventurer retired sigh. You know, I hung that thing up for a reason, right? Ooh, and then even better, right after he saves the day with it, it also gets him killed. Ooh. As he like saves you and he gives you like a smile and a nod. And then his eyes go wide as he gets shot from off camera. Oof. Yeah. Gut punch. <laughs> I mean, talk about immediate emotional investment. <laughs> yeah. So um, showing mercy to an enemy. You know, you spare the goblin today. That should mean something, right? Let's have that goblin show up and help in some unexpected time later right you get captured you get put in jail and then your door unlocks and somebody sneaks in and it's a little goblin i mean hey something man, you helped me out i mean something like that well not quite like that happened in lord of the rings like bilbo spared Gollum's life and mm-hmm. then Gollum was the reason that the ring was able to be destroyed he was he got them into mordor even if he had his own reasons for it and was eventually why Good old Frodo Nine Fingers, who wasn't able to throw it in, finally finally <laughs> lost the thing. But that was a I'm huge. Sorry, w- se- w- hmm? When you said it that way, it reminded me of the old like 1970s animated movies, and the guy singing Frodo of the Nine Fingers <laughs> in that like vibrato. Uh, that, that was so. That was so emblematic of of uh, the the 70s. <laughs> it's like the guy was like sitting there with his finger on his throat and just like moving it um, <laughs> and singing through his uh, nose while while vibratoring his throat oh that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah that, that that was a setup that happened in the very first of the the third age books and then was paid off in the last of them after thousands and thousands of words one really fun thing I got to do was I basically ran a trilogy of campaigns with a group where, yeah, they were like, each campaign was like a two-year endeavor. Wow. Yeah. And so with every, with with each new campaign, there was like a 10 or more year jump. And you could see a lot of callbacks to older things. I don't know if that's exactly the same as a payoff, but some of it might have been, you know, maybe somebody who was sick or older is now now gone, but they've left some sort of legacy. Um, the person who was a kid that you saved, they're now a big deal and they're an adult, you know, 
That was something I was really hoping they were going to do more in the Dragon Age games. Yeah. You know, there's this character in Dragon Age Origins that you meet while um, doing the Redcliffe quest. Oh, the boy. And it's a little, yeah, a little boy, and his name is uh, Bevan. And do you remember Bevan? Was he the one that, that that was possessed, or am I thinking of a different little boy? That was um, that's another little boy. It, the, that one had problems with with kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was Conrad. I think was his name. Oh no, Connor. Yeah, it was Connor. Get those two together. That's Dragon Age Four. They're all they're grown up Dude, now. That, that's what I'm saying, man. That's what I thought. <laughs> in, the third one was gonna be. I was so excited, and you do get to meet Connor, but it's like nothing. Oh, he's just like. He's in Red Cliff and he's like, hi, yeah, it's me. I'm sad. And you're like, great. Fantastic. Yeah. So, you never meet Bevan. So, so so glad that we went back into the fade for you there, kid. Yeah, I know. This like turned into nothing. It was one of the many disappointments of that game. Um, but Bevan, you, um, he's actually uh, locked in his house in a closet where he's oh, hiding. Oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you also meet his sister. I, f- I forget exactly what she was doing. But anyway, Bevan, you have actually a, a lot of little choices you can do when you're when you're dealing with him. One of which is you can find his grandfather's uh, Viridian sword mm-hmm. and you can use it to, to fight. You can give it to him. You can take it and sell it. You know, you can do any pretty much anything. But one of the options is you go out, you kill the monster's. You come back, you give it back to Bevan, and you tell him it's, you know, hey, this is yours. And then in the epilogue of the first game, mm-hmm. it'll actually mention that Bevan grows up to be a great adventurer. And we don't get to see it. And we never get to see it because even the developers, like, forgot about him. Oh, <laughs> that's a tremendous example of show don't, of, 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 of telling instead of showing. Exactly. I mean, because you're absolutely right. How much more meaningful would it be if you're if the people that you're adventuring with are guys like Connor and Bevan, mm-hmm. right? And some of these other characters that you helped out. And um, there was the um, child who was given to the uh, Chantry in the um, not the Undercity. What was it called? Orzammar, right? So you could have like this dwarven cleric of you know, that would have been a very unique character because, yeah, anyway. They, they really did have a problem with kids in Dragon Age Origins, didn't they? they really <laughs> I didn't think about that until you just, and now I'm like, wow, there really were a lot of kids. Huh. Yeah, it was like, when in doubt, I don't know, save this kid, I guess. Right? I mean, in fairness, that is a pretty strong motivator. But yeah, it like, is. if you have Caitlin uh, and Connor and Bevan and the, the, the Dwarven Cleric kid, there's your opening party. That's your opening party, man. It's it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, you know, let's throw Leliana's nug in there for good measure. That could yes. be the new Mabari, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, Mabari puppies. We could have, <laughs> we could do Air Bud. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if if you go with the with the 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 noble background, they have a Mabari, so they could uh, that they, they could totally. Yep. D- they're puppies or great great puppies, I guess. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, there are so many little opportunities for stuff like that that would easily cover all the classes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I saw like a funny TikTok where the, the title of it was, I can't afford the new Baldur's Gate. And then the picture of it was the, was the intro screen to Dragon Age Inquisition. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I'm loading this up again. <laughs> oh, poor honey. Uh, I thought that was great. <laughs> um, another uh, another thing we can do is we can make a player's mistake, uh, come back later and give them a chance to redeem themselves, perhaps. Um, like maybe they kill an enemy that doesn't need to die, so the next time they do show mercy and it's better. Um. An unwanted trinket saves your life. Um, seemingly useless NPCs who you saved earlier rescue from a TPK. You did exactly that one. Oh yeah, tell me. I already forgot. You forgot about <laughs> you forgot about Zrek. 
sir. Oh, no, never. <laughs> I guess I never thought of him as totally useless. We did. <laughs> you guys really hated Hans Rex because you were like, sure, I was putting one over on you. Well, yeah, because it was exactly the I kind of like, thing you would have done. <laughs> he was... He was like the most genuine character in the story. <laughs> he had a suspicious voice. <laughs> yes, he did. Well, he's a kobold, you know? He had a suspicious <laughs> voice. <laughs> but yeah, no, we, we all thought of Zrex as being a pretty, if not useless, not useful NPC. Uh, and then and then he comes walking in when we're in like super dire straits and he calls down the, the gift of Timora and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> oh no, I'm glad you still like us, even though we kind of treated you like crap, because oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe that was a payoff too, in a way. You know? For us, for me at least, it was, because I still think about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that, I'm good. that one was unintentional. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was just thinking to myself, oh, I ought to bring Zrax back, you know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that very thing happened. You guys were nice to an NPC, and then it came back to haunt you, but in a <laughs> it came positive back to way. Help us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, jumping back to the unwanted trinket, actually, I have a story about that, kind of. Oh, cool. And it actually is is a an example of um, GMs. You don't have to have the setup, all the stuff set up in advance. You don't have to know necessarily what all of the trinkets are that are going to be important. Um, in some cases, it's a matter of figuring out what your characters glom onto. So uh, we did a random draw from a Nord treasure deck, and one of the things that we had in like this this shop of random things in Chaos Agents Campaign One was a map with a wine stain on it uh, and a deed to the, to that to that particular estate. And our warlock purchased it and said, "Well, this is my." place this is a piece of land that i own and he made it his mission to go and find that place wherever it was and whatever he needed to do with it and that became the site of the final battle in the overall campaign because that was where um bahamut under the guise of dendar was imprisoned so it turned out to be pretty awesome. cool <laughs> but it was a completely <laughs> random draw with the gm being like oh i can do something with that as he saw how much the character glommed onto it and said, this is important to him, which made sense because for Uzo, his whole thing was, I, I want to make safe places for my people, which meant buying property and making safe places. And it was like, mm -hmm. okay, how can I use that theme and turn it? Yeah, and I think that's the main question we want to ask ourselves. Like, you could even have players at the beginning roll on that random trinket table, and then you can just assign meaning to it. Sure. Right. Like, you can just say, oh, you... Like, one of the ones I got with Roland, because I think Spike had us do this, and uh, I got uh, a petrified mouse. <laughs> that was, like... Really? Something that was on, <laughs> on the list. Yeah, I got this, like, little tiny petrified mouse. And it never really came up, but it was it was a thing where, you know, I don't know what kind of story significance that might have had uh but it you know we can always we can always figure something out yeah and and that is a, a piece of advice i guess for gms is uh be aware of what's on your your player's character sheet especially when that's stuff from like their past and whatnot and figure out how you can weave it into their backstory if that makes sense yeah and by the way that's not a slight on man he really should have made something out of the petrified he didn't need to do that no, right? there was plenty of other things going on <laughs> in that story. No, it, it was just a po a potential opportunity if if that had gone in that direction. Right, it was an option. Let's see, uh, another one. Uh, a villain's catchphrase is used against them. Um, so maybe the bad guy says something like, "You're too weak to live," and then like kills a guy, right? Mm -hmm. And then after you do the big battle. You know, you have your sword at his throat and then you say, you are too weak to live. And then you swing at him, but then you stop short. <laughs> that would definitely punctuate <laughs> the uh, scenario, I would say. Hi, like, Adora. Because <laughs> now the now the point is, I am you were too weak to not spare someone. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see. Your heirloom is an unidentified magic item. So maybe something 
you got from your grandfather to turns out to have a lot more significance. Um, bad guy's signature spell is later countered or used against them. Fireball is a great spell, you know. Fireball is It's really amazing. You could really imagine a bad guy just solving all of his problems <laughs> with this third level spell. And, you know, maybe he casts that early on and it destroys your village, right? Maybe it destroys a couple of villages. Like the way you're able to track him is that just all the 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 arson <laughs> that you're following along with. Follow the trail of burning villages. Yes. And then you, as a powerful spellcaster, you know, redirect the spell or you just counter it and just render him useless. Like once he doesn't have his like one trick, he's like out of ideas. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that could be a good way to, to bring it back. And it would also help give your bad guy a little bit of flavor. Yeah, so I mean, the, the, the list of ideas could go on and on and on. But uh, I think we got the idea. Yeah. I think it's a really good way to make even the seemingly mundane things in our game. If we give them some thought and some creativity, we can turn them into meaningful um, storytelling devices and plot devices and character development tools to help us create a more memorable experience. A big issue that a lot of stories, particularly in Hollywood, seem to be facing is wanting to have the big epic moment that they saw in something else without building up to it. Yeah. Without remembering the basics of introduce this thing, remind us of it later, and then pay it off and make sure that it means something. At the end of Avengers Endgame, I mean, so many payoffs happen. And it's a very satisfying, even if it's very fan service even if it's got a couple of cringe moments, like by and large, that was a, that was not just a movie. That was like an event. Yeah. Right. That was a cultural event that we all experienced. And then you compare it with some of the things that are happening now, uh, some of the stuff that DC was doing. Um, even Disney itself, a couple of years later, is doing the rise of Skywalker, <laughs> you know, and it has all the ships showing up at the end. I mean, it is re- trying its best to recreate the Avengers Endgame moment, but without 12 years of films behind it. So it doesn't really work. Yeah. And I think that that middle step that you mentioned is actually the one that gets forgotten the most often because i agree that you need to establish the thing and you know have if 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 it's something that you're setting up and it's something that you want to have pay off establish the thing remind them that they have it because i cannot tell you how many times i have forgotten what's in my inventory until it's like oh yeah that was there the whole time (laughs) that's right um so set it up remind them it's there however you want to do that and then pay it off in a way that is just like, oh my gosh, I did not, I didn't see that coming. And, you know, the beauty of it from the GM's perspective is that you don't necessarily have to plan all of this. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, just watch what happens and then decide it means something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, I, and then I, it's just really about how you execute it. Yeah, exactly. And I think as part of that exposition, one of the points that we didn't cover is don't pay off and then use exposition to explain. Do the payoff, right, yes. let it land, and let them take from it what they will. Like, if it falls flat, that sucks and that hurts because it's like, ooh, I didn't set that up as well as I wanted it to. But on the flip side of that is how amazing it feels when you say the thing and every jaw around the table drops open and someone swears at you. (laughs) That's right. Those are the magic moments that we live for (laughs) being sworn at (laughs) in total joy. Oh yeah. In total. Oh my God, you just did that. And it means so much. And I don't know what I'm feeling right now besides everything. It's really when we're talking about the setup and payoff where we're kind of talking about how to create memorable moments. And when it comes to the entirety of any campaign, the what it's all going to be, be boiled down to, the thing that's going to live on in your memory are like the three interesting things you remember about mm-hmm. it. 
right? And those are going to be key moments. And this is one of the ways we can create those moments because all the other exposition, all the world building, much of it will be unfortunately forgotten, but the moments live. Yeah, the moments live. And I think that that is the biggest takeaway from this is, yeah, those moments are super important. Those moments are what people are going to be telling stories about years afterwards. So no kidding, there I was. <laughs> While playing Baba O'Reilly in the background. <laughs> I bet you're wondering how I got here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's uh, speaking of moments, we're just about out of hours. That's all I have, unless you have something else to add. <laughs> I think that's everything. So thank you all so much for joining us this week. Go forth and make memorable moments. And until next time, stay inspired. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Thank you.